You know, there's a lot of things to have identity in. Let, let me just ask you, you guys kind of help me out here. What are things in this world that people have their identity in besides the Lord Jesus that we're supposed to have our identity in the Lord? Who we are is all wrapped up in him, you know, and that we could be children of the, of the Most High God. You know, we are called human beings, not human doers. And sometimes we, we find our identity in what we do than in who we are. What, what are things that people find their identity in in this world when they're, not, uh, when they're not where they need to be, including you and me, all right? So you can tell on yourself, too, if you want, or where you've come from. Yeah, Scott? Your job. Find, how, you know, how many know what that's like to, to know people or to be the kind of people that sometimes, if we're not careful, we, are, we find our identity in our career path or in our work or job? All right? Everybody tracking with me? All right. What else? Yeah. Money. Find our identity in our money. All right. Some of you can find more identity than maybe others. I don't know, but all right. Yeah. Friends. Wow. That's a good one. Yeah. Some people find their identity in who they hang out with and their friends. That's really true. Yes. Back here. Family. Find their identity in their, fam their, their family, their kids. Yeah, some, some parents find their identity in their children. To, 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 to extremes, to ways that are, are not good and godly for them or for their children. Yeah. Their toys or possessions. Yeah. 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 Huh? Their cars. Yeah. Hello. Yeah. Their what? Their habits. Find their identity in their habits. Okay. All right. Anyone else? Yeah, back here in the back. Political affiliations. Find their identity in their political affiliations. Wow. That's really true. Yeah. Yeah, back here, Barry. Sports teams. All right, now we've gone to meddling now, right? Huh? Go Blackhawks, huh? <laughs> Yeah, Minister L. Pastor, they put him on the pedestal. Hello. Any of you put me on a pedestal? I'm going to come out there. Yeah, that's true. You know, I hadn't thought of it. That, that, that is true. Don't put me up too high on that pedestal because there's only one way to go when you're clear up there. You know, you topple over. And the Lord came down, didn't he, when he served us. Amen. All right. These are good. Yeah, Tanya. Huh? Your spouse. Yeah. That's really true. Yeah. So our identity, man, how much better it is for our lives and the people in our lives when our identity is in Jesus Christ, who he is in our life. He's our savior, our soon coming king, the lion of the tribe of Judah. Amen. Our God is Jehovah Jireh. He, man, when we get that centered in him, Wow, everything can, can take its place. Everything else can get in line when he's first. Amen? Let's go to our text tonight and read it together on Ephesians chapter 6, verses 13 through 15. Let's read it together. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm, Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth, 
and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. We're going to stop right there. Uh, We're not getting through the whole text tonight. We're going to kind of break this up. We're engaged in a spiritual battle, and like it or not, we must deal with the situation. Situation. (laughs) Oh, man, I won't even go there. Where that came from, it came from something. Anyway, now this threat is somewhat different. The apostle says... We studied this last week that our struggle is not against what? It's not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. In other words, we're not engaged in a physical battle, all right, which can which we can fight with physical weapons. This is not the fight that we're talking about. We're not involved in a physical fight, and we don't have physical weapons. We're engaged in a spiritual battle, which requires new weaponry. We cannot fight in our own strength, or we're sure to be defeated. To attempt to fight in our own strength would be like... um, Uh, It'd be like attacking a forest fire with a squirt gun. Probably not going to do much good, right? Uh, Or or it would be like trying to um, slay a lion with a a fly swatter. Has anybody else got one? I love these kind of little things. Anybody else got one that's appropriate? be like catching an elephant with a butterfly net. Anybody else got one? You're thinking real hard. Don't hurt yourself, all right? Spiritual warfare needs spiritual weapons. That's what I'm trying to bring our attention to, that the battle that we're fighting in this life demands spiritual weapons. And I got good news for you. They're available And the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 10, verses 3 through 4, for though we walk in the flesh, how many are all walking around in the flesh? All right, most of you. Some of you aren't. Well, while you're walking in the Spirit, be sure that you're in your flesh while you're walking in the Spirit, all right? Um, I, I wouldn't like it if only your spirit came to church and you left your flesh at home. That would be a little spooky. Though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. We fight spiritual forces with spiritual weapons. We must put on the armor of God, is what the Apostle Paul is telling us. We literally put on the armor of God and use the weapons of the Spirit. And this is the This is really the subject matter of our text tonight. By understanding how to use this armor and weaponry, we'll be able to be protected from the attack of the enemy. And the enemy desires to destroy you. The enemy of our soul 
hates it that you have surrendered your life to Jesus and that the Holy Spirit has come in and renewed your life and made you new in Christ. The devil knows that he is defeated. The devil knows where he's going. The devil knows where he's going to spend eternity. The devil knows that his days are numbered. And he would like nothing better than to destroy any of our lives and to take us to hell with him. I, I'm just going to tell you how it is. The devil has nothing good in store for anyone else. He would like to entice us with fleshly desires. He would like to entice us with the pleasures of this world. But ultimately, these things lead us to death and destruction. And so we need to understand how to use this armor. We need to understand what really life in Jesus is all about and the life that the Lord has provided for us. The joy and the peace that only comes from really knowing the Lord Jesus. When you serve the devil, you can have fleeting moments of happiness and you can serve yourself, but it's, it's empty. But when, when we're in the Lord and our identity is in Jesus, even in hard times and difficult moments in our lives and seasons, there is a joy and there is a peace that the Bible talks about. Paul was very familiar with the Roman world of his day. As he is speaking, he knows the Roman world. And without going into all of that, people knew the might of the Roman army of that time period where Paul is writing our text tonight. And the Roman Empire was huge and powerful and mighty and, and was feared by most of the world. Most anyone in that time period could describe the equipment that was worn by a Roman soldier. Paul was no stranger to these things. In fact, in case you didn't know it, Paul literally spent months being chained to a Roman soldier. I've thought about that many times. Can you imagine being chained to somebody for months? It was natural for him to compare the spiritual armor and weaponry to a Roman soldier's weapons and armor. And he uses each element of a Roman soldier's armor to illustrate the spiritual equipment necessary for our fight of faith. It's essential for us to see the importance of this armor. Put it on. Know how to use it. And without this armor, we are in danger. With this armor, we emerge victorious in Jesus Christ. I want to just think, you know, I've, I've preached on this many times and over the years, but I realize how important it is to revisit some of these kinds of topics and to make sure we're putting our armor on. Because I believe if we're not careful, there's a tendency for us to even serve the Lord in our own strength. And we can't even serve the Lord in our own strength. 
We can't serve our family. We can't serve the people in our lives. We can't serve him. We can't. Listen, without him, we are in a heap of trouble. We're in a mess. And some of you are pretty brilliant and pretty sharp and pretty strong and got it together in so many ways and upright and just and awesome people. But without the Lord, you're a flunky. <laughs> All right? Come on, let's call it, right? Thank God we have his armor. All right, let's talk about the armor. Let's talk about three pieces of it. The first one, the belt of truth, if you got your outline. The belt of truth, a Roman soldier's belt is an essential part of his armor. Now, now listen, as I'm going through this, we're going to take, Paul takes the Roman armor, the physical, and he brings it into the spiritual. It's tremendous how the apostle Paul does this, inspired by the Holy Spirit. And it's got so much depth of tremendous meaning for us that is just awesome. The belt, his belt gathered his armor together and secured his sword to his side. The belt was the focal point that brought everything together, the belt of truth. It served to secure the long garments so that they would not interfere with fighting. The belt tied everything together. We're exhorted to stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth. It's truth, it's truth which ties together the believer's armor. In our warfare against Satan and in his demonic followers, a warfare in which deception and deceit are commonplace, it's truth which eliminates our way and enables us to be ready to fight. Now, there are two things here in view that I'd like for you to jot down if you'd like. Two things that are in view with the belt of truth. The first is the truth of God. Truth exists whether people know it or not, whether people acknowledge it or not, truth still exists. God's word is truth. Truth can be discovered, accepted, and applied, or truth can be hidden, rejected, and ignored. But whatever your response to truth, it's still the truth. Jesus said in John 8, 32, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Knowing the truth makes us free. Satan's lies only enslave us. Now, I'm going to talk about that in just a moment. When I say knowing the truth will make us free, we have to be careful how we define the word knowing, because knowing and understanding the Greek and understanding what that word really means it is a knowing that is beyond head knowledge, but it is something that goes far beyond just head knowledge or far beyond just information. Truth reveals what is real. It casts its light on the situation, and it enables us to walk safely. The second thing which is in view here is the truth lived out. So it's, it's not just 
acknowledging, understanding, having some mindful understanding of truth, but it's living it out. Here we focus on our conduct, the emphasis on the living the truth in our daily lives. The belt of truth means that we live honestly, in integrity, without hypocrisy. Truth must not only be possessed, it must be applied to our lives. If I would say, are we living the truth? Are we living out the truth? Is truth that we hear on a Sunday or a Wednesday or in a Bible reading or a life group, is that something that it fills our head and is something that we know and maybe even can talk, but our, the way we live out our life is here and our mind and our knowledge is here. Folks, I want you to know that when you put on the breast, when you put on, when you gird your loins with the belt of truth, truth, knowledge, and the way we live our life comes together, and like a belt, it secures us. It cinches up. And we don't lose ourselves. Thought I was going to say our pants, didn't you? Huh? <laughs> the Roman soldier's belt did him no good until it was tightly drawn around his waist. So when our belt of truth is tightly fastened, we'll live honestly and walk in integrity all the time. When we refuse to play games and walk, how many, how many know what it's like to have a season in your life, you can admit it or not, where you played games, where you went through motions, but your heart and your lifestyle was over here, and you... You were fake and phony, and you played How many know what it's like to be a game player, right? But when you have the belt of truth on, and you have that armor, and you cinch up with the truth of God's word, and the knowledge, and the lifestyle, because you, you put that on, Without it, the rest of the armor will not stay in place. Without truth, you can't be centered. All right, the next one is the breastplate of righteousness. For the Roman soldier, the breastplate protected and covered what? What, what does a breastplate cover? Heart. What else? Huh? Torso, internal organs. Now I want I want a bigger word that explains what these these organs are. They they are what they are. Vital. There you go. You got it. Vital organs. What what does it mean? So I'm not a doctor. What does it mean to protect vital organs? Why would you need to protect your vital organs? Huh? 
so you can live. All right, so you can lose certain parts of your body and still live, but there are some things that you can't do without. So the breastplate of righteousness is protecting and covering your vital organs to avoid a mortal wound. Righteousness, I I love the parallels. I just love these parallels. I love to think about these parallels, the physical and the spiritual. Man, it just blesses me so much. Righteousness protects us in those vital areas of our relationship with God so that the life of Christ within us is not severed. You show me someone who even may be raised up in the household of faith and raised up in the church from a young person and they're growing in their seasons of life and, and you, you watch that they take that breastplate of righteousness and they lay it aside and they begin to dabble in the sins of the flesh and, and it starts with little ways, little things that they, start, that they once would never do, but now they cross a little line. It's, it's never the big line. It's never one giant leap. It's, it's when somebody gets in major trouble over here and the bottom falls out. That, there was signs way back over here. We're, we're too smart for the devil to come knocking at our front door and we open the door and if he has his horns and pitchfork, we slam the door and we say, get out of here, devil, in the name of Jesus. But if he shows up on a TV program and then a little media comes through and, and a little tweet on Twitter And then, before long, it's movies, and then it's things that we would never watch. Now we're kind of dabbling over here, and now things, places we wouldn't go, we're kind of, well, God understands, or, you know, just, just do this once to appease a friend or a family member. The devil is sly, he's cunning, he's crafty. Righteousness protects us in vital areas of our relationship with God so that the life of Christ within us is not severed. What is this righteousness? Well, one thing that it's not, this breastplate of righteousness. Let me, to tell you what it is, sometimes part of the definition is to know what it's not. It is not our own righteousness. Our righteousness was not sufficient to save us, and our righteousness will never be sufficient to keep us. Isaiah likens our righteousness to filthy rags. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, he made him who knew no sin, talking about Jesus, to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. Christ is the true righteous one, and he has credited his righteousness to us because of his work on Calvary's cross. Jesus died for us there in our place, and now Jesus, listen to this, 
get ready to be blessed. And now the Lord, because he died for us in our place, and he is righteous and he is holy, now he gives us his righteousness. He gives us his righteousness. Because of his work on Calvary, He gives us his righteousness in exchange for ours. That's a great deal. He takes your sin, your suffering, your mess, everything that's wrong, and he takes it from you and nails it to the cross. And he offers you eternal life and his righteousness and his forgiveness and his acceptance. It's the great exchange. Christ is the true righteous one. Actually, he is our righteousness. 1 Corinthians 1, 30 and 31 from the message says everything that we have right thinking and right living a clean slate and a fresh start comes from God by way of Jesus Christ that's why we have the saying if you're going to blow a horn blow a trumpet for God I love that I don't know what that does for you right there does that say anything to somebody that means that In ourselves, we ain't much. Calm down. It's all about him. If you're awesome, it's only because he's in you. His righteousness is yours. All right. Where was I? Now, the Lord's work on the cross enables us to experience practical righteousness in our everyday lives. We no longer walk in our righteousness, but in his. When you understand that, you won't be so critical of others. When you understand that apart from his righteousness in your life, you're in just as big a mess as anybody. It will allow you to have compassion, to speak a word in due season, to love appropriately, to be a part of the solution and not a part of the problem, to lift others up and not tear them down. When we understand the armor, when we understand what we have in Christ, it changes the way we reach and touch and minister, the way we think. Sometimes I have to remind myself because as a pastor there's so many challenges, so many things that people go through and I have to remember only by the precious blood of Jesus and his righteousness are any of us have hope. But we have it. We've been set free from our former ways of living. Now we can say no to sin and yes to God. 
And that's the call to every believer. The Word of God tells us that we've been liberated by the grace of God. This grace has been extended to us, not so we could take advantage of it in sin, but so we could break free from sin. The challenge now is to live like the one uh, like who we really are. That, that becomes our challenge now. You that are here tonight and are saved by the precious blood of Jesus, our challenge now is to begin to live the life, to live who we are in Christ. That's the challenge. If you belong to Jesus, you have eternal life. You've been set, made free. You've been set free from everything that's been wrong in your life. God has set you on a higher plateau. He has put your feet on higher ground. Now the challenge is to begin to live out who you are in Jesus. Some people have got that in their heart and what Jesus has done, but they live down here. What would happen if we begin to just live out every day who we are in Christ? Some of you are doing it more and more. You're living a victorious life in Jesus. Some of you, since I've known you, you came in living down here. Now you're living up here. And you're headed the right way. Some of you have got some of the same challenges that come at you once in a while like they did when I knew you a year ago, five years ago. But now all of a sudden, you're looking at them differently. They're not beating you up anymore. You're beating them up. Challenge is to live like who we really are. Romans 6, 1 and 2. So what do we do? Keep on sinning so God can keep on forgiving? I should hope not. If we've left the country where sin is sovereign, how can we still live in our old house there? And then further down a few more verses, starting at verse 11 says, from now on, think of it this way. Sin speaks a dead language that means nothing to you. Oh, I love those words, how he, Eugene put that. God speaks your mother tongue, and you hang on every word. You are dead to sin and alive to God. That's what Jesus did. That means you must not give sin a vote in the way you conduct your lives. Don't give it the time of day. Don't even run little errands that are connected with that old way of life. Throw yourselves wholeheartedly in full time. Remember, you've been raised from the dead into God's way of doing things. Woo! Hallelujah. We live depending on the righteousness of Christ. And walking in that righteousness in our daily lives, as we do, the breastplate of righteousness protects us against the enemy. I'm going to hit one more tonight and we'll be done for tonight. I want to talk just for a few moments about the boots of peace. The Roman soldier wore a certain kind of shoe. It was an open-toed, spiked shoe which laced up past his ankles and we're all aware here tonight of the importance of shoes. Now, some of you, like my sister Tammy, a southern hillbilly, can walk around with no shoes. You used to. You don't anymore? It kills you now, huh? I didn't know that. 
You ran around with no shoes all the time when we were growing up. What happened to you? See, I'm not, I'm not in touch. Some of you probably do pretty good without shoes. Not me. I'm flat-footed as I can be. When I walked on the sand growing up in Florida on the beach, you could see my entire foot. I had no arch. And as a result, I need good shoes. You will rarely see me without lace-up shoes because I need my shoes tight as I can get them to give me all the support I can get. You got city-fied, huh? You all know the importance of shoes. There are dress shoes. What kind of shoes are there today? We have dress shoes. We have work shoes. We have flip-flops. Wedgies, platforms. Girls, it's going to be a while. Hold up. Hold up. We've got athletic shoes. Hey, here's one. House slippers. Fishing boots, waders. Now, these different types of shoes serve different purposes. The Roman soldier's shoe was an important piece of equipment. It served much the same purpose as a football player's spiked shoes. It was made to help the soldier stand his ground and advance. He needed the traction. Most of the combat back then was hand-to-hand. Armies would surge towards one another and be locked into mortal combat. A soldier could not afford to be pushed backwards. He could not afford to slip down. And neither can we. We must put on the boots of peace. Part of our being equipped for battle is having shod our feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Now, it's the gospel of peace that enables us to stand firm. We can stand secure knowing that we have his peace. That when things in life are coming at you and you're being attacked, you can keep standing because you have shoes made of peace and spikes that are crushing the head of Satan. As you stand your ground in him and have peace in the Lord while maybe all of craziness is happening around you. Now, there are two qualities of peace that we experience that I want to give you before we go. I love these two qualities of peace that we can experience. The first is peace with God. And underline and circle with if you want to, if you're writing that down. Two qualities of peace. Peace with God. Romans 5, 1, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of the good news of the gospel, we can experience harmony and peace with God. Our struggle, here, what does that mean? It means this, our struggle with God is over. We've surrendered to him. Now we enjoy fellowship with God, knowing that our eternal destiny is sure. We're ready to meet whatever challenge comes our way. The second aspect of this peace 
is the peace of God. We read in Philippians 4, 7, and the peace of God which surpasses all comprehension will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Do you understand that this peace, this peace that we have, the peace of God, surpasses all comprehension? Somebody help me define that. What does that mean? That we have a peace that surpasses, goes beyond all comprehension. Anybody? You got something? Huh? Can't figure it out. Somebody else help me with this. What do you think? I'm sorry. I'm trying to find out who's talking. Oh, right here. David or Sam? So I'll tell you what I, what I kind of, yeah, over here. A mystery, okay. Yeah, Tony? Here we go. Did you all hear that? Say it, say it one more time, Tony. We do not understand how we could have the peace we can have in the circumstance that we're in. We have comprehension of the situation that we're in, and it looks pretty bad in the natural. It looks, and yet in the midst of it, there is a peace that is causing us to stand. How many have experienced that in your life where you've gone through some really traumatic things, and yet there is a peace beyond your ability to understand? Wow, I highly encourage that kind of peace in your life. We're going to need it. Not only do we experience peace with God, but we experience the peace of God. Peace with God means that our struggle with him is over. The peace of God means that we experience his peace even in the most trying situations. We have a calm in the midst of the storm. That's the peace of God. You know, we had this straight winds thing come through Moline here, and it missed up. The last time it hit our home and knocked down a couple of big trees around us, this time it missed us and some of our dear, wonderful people that we know, it got them, and it was amazing, that path, it was just a path, and some of you know what I'm talking about. Some of the people here tonight are just getting power back today. But I know what it is to be in a tornado, and for it to be just horrifying, and then all of a sudden, everything is just serene totally still and then here it comes again the peace that we can have in the Lord is like while everything around us is crazy there there is this peace in the midst of a storm we need to put put those shoes on now you might say to someone when they're going through a tough time, get a grip. But you know, you can't get a grip if you don't have something to grab onto. 
Knowing Jesus gives us something to hold on to. This is precisely what having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace will do for us. We're enabled to stand firm and have traction in life. We can and will advance against the enemy on any terrain. Whatever your circumstances, you will stand firm. Well, I just speak that into somebody's life right now. If you're, if you're wavering, if you're wondering if you're going to make it, get your shoes on. Get your peace on. The believer's armor is all about our relationship with Christ. Each piece of armor that we're going to go through, and we're going to tackle a few more next week, stems from knowing Jesus. Daniel 11.32 says that the people who know their God will be strong and do exploits. Knowing Christ is the key. Would you stand to your feet tonight? So in order to put on the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, and the boots of peace, we must focus our attention on our commander-in-chief, Jesus Christ, and he will equip us for war. Lord, thank you tonight that you've not only saved us, give us eternal life, give us forgiveness, and accepted us, made us your sons and daughters. But Lord, thank you that you've also given us the armor and the weaponry we need to win in life. Thank you, Lord, for being everything that we need. We bless your name in Jesus' name. Amen. Good night, everybody. God bless you. You're dismissed.